Well, it will become immediately clear to those of you who have been here at Laurel for any lengthy period of time that I am stepping outside of my normal routine of preaching through a book of the Bible uh, to share with you a brief series of sermons that are topically oriented. Of course, these sermons will be exposition in nature, but topical in the sense that we'll be looking at various selections of Scripture rather than walking consecutively through one book of the Bible. I'm beginning a series this morning called Core Convictions. Core Convictions. And the Lord has led me to do this at this time in the life of our church for a couple of reasons. One, regardless of how long one has been a member of this church, it is important that we be regularly reminded of our convictions. These core convictions, although not always stated as articulately as I have them in this series, they have always been a part of our DNA as a church for nearly 15 years. So as we go through them together over the next several months, I I want you as a church membership to be thankful for what God has given to us here at Laurel. And always work hard to help me keep these biblical convictions at the heart of who we are and what we do as Christ's church. Another reason I believe the Lord has led this on my heart is We have a growing number of new people attending our worship services here as a church, and that is an exciting thing. This is the Lord's church. He is building it. He is growing it, and it is my prayer that through this series of messages, we will be able to clearly communicate what a biblically healthy church looks like and how important it is to involve ourselves in that type of fellowship. Of course, we'll be updating some portions of our membership class material so that these core convictions that I'll share with you over the next several months will be the central part of our introduction of Laurel Baptist Church to others. And so I want to begin by helping us understand, really, what core convictions are. What are core convictions? Well, as a church, we have what we call a statement of faith, a statement of faith. Now, a statement of faith is a summary of the basic doctrinal teachings of the Laurel Baptist Church. Those basic doctrinal teachings would be things such as the inspiration, inerrancy, and sufficiency of Scripture. It's a doctrinal statement that we have about the Bible. Another summarized biblical teaching, a doctrine that we have in our statement of of faith, would be that we believe in the one true and living God existing in three persons. We identify that as the Trinity, that our God is a triune being, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Another summary of our doctrinal teaching about salvation is that we believe that men and women, boys and girls, are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. In our statement of faith, we we also have a doctrinal teaching about how we believe things are conducted such as biblical marriage. The biblical marriage is the joining of one man and one woman 
by mutual covenant together. My, my point in that is a statement of faith, and I want you to get this word here, a statement of faith is theological, all right? That's what a statement of faith is. It is theological, and we have one. We also have a mission statement, a mission statement, all right? A statement of faith is a summary of the biblical teachings of the church. A mission statement is a summary of why we exist, all right? Our mission statement is, our mission is to glorify God and exalt his gospel through the preaching of his word and the fellowship of his church. That's why we exist. We exist for the glory of God and we exist for the gospel of God and we Fulfill that motive through the preaching of God's word and the fellowship of his church. A mission statement is motivational. It's motivational. It's why we see it in our publications. It's why we remind ourselves of it on a regular basis. It's why you see it when you walk out of the doors of the church into the lobby. There it is on a big banner. Our mission is to glorify God, to exalt his gospel through the preaching of his word and the fellowship of his church. So, so a statement of faith is theological. All right? A mission statement, a statement of mission is motivational, okay, then we have core convictions. Core convictions are practical, all right? Core convictions are practical. So, so here's our theology, what we believe and teach. Here's our mission, the glory of God and the gospel of Christ. And so our core convictions is a summary of how our theology and our motives express themselves practically, all right? That's what a core conviction is. A core conviction is how our theology and our motives express themselves practically. And we're going to go through several of these over the next few months. Let's begin with the first one today. Our first core conviction, when we talk about our theology and our motives, they express itself in number one, meaningful membership. Meaningful membership. So the first core conviction is meaningful membership. And a subtitle to this would be as follows. We join ourselves together to submit our Christian discipleship to the shepherding fellowship and ministry of this local church. All right? We join ourselves together to submit our Christian discipleship to the shepherding fellowship and ministry of this local church. But perhaps you're new to this church thing and you've been wondering, what is church membership? Well, this, this as you see it before you, is what church membership is. It is joining ourselves together to submit our Christian discipleship, joining ourselves together to submit our Christian discipleship to the shepherding, the fellowship, and the ministry of this local church. So our first core conviction, meaningful membership. Meaningful membership. Now in regards to the kingdom of God, the church is the highest institutional authority on earth. It is the authority that Jesus instituted officially affirm and give shape to our Christian life. The church is not a social club. Something centered around status or shared interest alone. The church is not a volunteer organization where belonging and engagement is optional. 
The church is not even a religious service provider where consumers come and pick and choose what service offerings best work for them and their needs. The churches have these things, and we have them. We have shared interest. We have areas in which we volunteer. We have service offerings that work to meet the needs of others. But that's not what makes us a church. A church is more than this. A church is an assembly of the redeemed. That's what a church is. It is the assembly of the redeemed. Redeemed sinners from all walks of life. From all ethnicities, from all backgrounds, from all cultural differences. And we all come together because we are united in Jesus Christ. That's a church. And someone has said, a church is not a homogenous club of people like us with whom we would naturally want to go on vacation. Rather, it is a supernatural fellowship of people very unlike us in whom we are bound with Christ. I find that very helpful because sometimes we think that meaningful membership in a church is about finding the perfect place and the perfect people just like me so that I will naturally desire to be around them all hours of the day. I don't even naturally desire to be around my own family all hours of the day. Some of you who come together, they're from large families. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I don't even want to go on vacation with my own family. Now, my point in sharing this with you because it's helpful. The issue of church membership is not an emotional issue. It is a theological issue. We don't do it because it feels right. We don't join a church because that one fits us. No, Christians join in membership with a local church because the Bible reveals that this is what Christians do. They join a church. They come together with other people that are not like them. But yet they find themselves bound together in the commonality of Jesus Christ. So it's okay if you don't want to ever go on vacation with me. Because I may not want to ever go on vacation with you. It's not emotional. It's not emotional. It's theological. Unfortunately, there are a host of people who ignore the issue altogether. And I really want to help you this morning. I really want to help some of you get plugged in because you're missing out on some things just because of an unattachment to the church. I... I, I kind of divide these type of people who ignore the issue altogether into two groups. First, we have the shoppers. The shoppers. They used to be called back in the day the hoppers. We're no longer hopping anymore. We're shopping. We, we come for a little while here. We go for a little while there. We, we pop in when you have something we want. You know, when you have a quartet, we'll come. But then they leave whenever they're disappointed. All the while, they actually think they're in church. But listen to me very carefully. Biblically speaking, none of us are in church unless we belong to a church. That's what the Bible teaches. 
So this whole shopping philosophy is I'm going to go here for a few months. I'm going to go there for a few months. And, and as long as they are, are providing something for me, then I'll, then I'll give back to them. That, that is nowhere biblically mentioned in terms of genuine Christianity. So you have the shoppers. And then you have another group altogether, the, the deniers. The deniers. And the deniers, they, they deny that fellowship or belonging to a church is even necessary. Thinking the internet is church. They'd rather sit in front of the television screen in their pajamas with a warm cup of coffee and convince themselves that they're part of the church. Can I help you with something? The church is not a download, the church is a fellowship. It is not a live streaming service, it is an assembly of blood bought, redeemed people. We've got to change our view on these things. And we have to bring it back to what the Bible says. And when it comes to shoppers and deniers, neither one of these groups are paying attention to the Bible at all. Because the New Testament scriptures assume that Christians will unite with a church. It assumes that. It assumes that we will unite with a church and that we will unite with a church on the basis of gospel discipleship, not interest. Not activities and not offerings that may fit my life. We unite with a church because we're saying, I want that shepherd, I want that fellowship, I want that ministry to disciple my Christian life. And there is joy in this, friends. There is joy in belonging to a church. There are blessings that come when we attach ourselves to Christ's local body. This is a big deal. Whether you realize it or not, it's a big deal. It's about our Christian lives giving God ultimate glory and positioning ourselves to receive God's greatest blessings on our life and on our family. Meaningful membership. Now, now I want to work through this in a couple of ways. I want to give you, instead of one exposition, three expositions. I told you this is, this is entirely different than my normal routine. But I believe this is what the Lord wants us to see and to know this morning. And so I want to help you. I want to help you. Because I want you to have God's greatest blessings on your life. I want you to enjoy to the fullest what it means to be obedient to Christ by engaging in meaningful membership, whether that be here or somewhere else. It's not a commercial to somehow increase our membership role. That's not what this is. This is about you being obedient to Christ and you positioning yourself for God's glory and his greatest blessings in your life here or anywhere else. All right, so let's, let's walk through that. Number one, we have a pattern of church membership in the Bible. So let's look at that first, the pattern of church membership. I read to you in the opening text in Acts chapter 2. And if you still have your Bibles open, I invite you just to leave them there for a moment or these scriptures are on the screen for you. Verse 41 Those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued. And they continued. All right, so what we have here in Acts chapter 2, Peter had just preached this amazing sermon about Jesus and the gospel. And at the end of the chapter, what we have for the first time in the New Testament is the official formation of the church. It not only 
shows what happened on that day, but it established the biblical pattern of church membership that would follow in the rest of the New Testament. And here's the pattern. You can see it clearly from verses 41 and 42. They were converted, they were baptized, they were added, they were involved. All right, we're going to break these down separately in a moment. But this is what we see here presented. They were converted, they followed that with baptism, they followed that with church membership, they were added to the church, and then they were involved in the church. So let's start with the first one. They were converted. They were converted. Verse 41, those who gladly received his word. Gladly received his word. It's a reference to faith in Christ. That's what they were doing here. They were believing the gospel. In fact, in verse 38, Peter had just said, look at it there if you still have your Bibles open. Verse 38, Peter says, repent, repent of your sin. Do it in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And verse 40 says, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved. It was a gospel message. He was declaring to them the deity of Christ, the sacrificial death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And he's telling them, be saved, believe the gospel, receive Jesus into your life, follow him as Lord and Savior. And immediately verse 1 tells us that those who gladly receive that word, that is those who believe that message. Those who repented of their sins, those who believed the gospel, those who chose in that moment to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's where church membership begins. And it is never any more than that unless we have first been converted in our faith. That we come to Christ believing that He is Lord and Savior, that we have been saved. Saved. It starts with conversion. And then we see, secondly, it goes to baptism. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized, baptized. Now, we're going to spend more time on baptism in another message, but for now, may we at least acknowledge here that these new believers made a public profession of their faith in Christ, and they did so by identifying with Jesus in believers' baptism. we got to get the order right. They were saved, and then they were baptized, converted, baptized. Thirdly, they were added. They were added. Then those who gladly received his word, that's conversion, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, somebody was keeping record. Somebody had a role going on. They knew around an estimate of how many were joining the church that day. 3,000 people were added. They were added to the church as they joined themselves together with Peter and the other disciples. It's important that we find this biblical pattern. By the way, that's exactly what happened to Saul when he came to Christ. He was converted, he was baptized, and immediately he was taken by another disciple to where the church was, and he was added to the church. That's the pattern we see through the whole New Testament. Conversion, baptism, adding, adding. So we have to do a little bit of reflection here. Am I fully obedient to the scriptures? Have I been converted? Have I been baptized? Have you been added? Added to the church. Conversion, baptism. They were added, but it didn't stop there, by the way. They didn't get on the membership roll, so to speak, and disappear. No, the very next two, next three words of verse 42 tells us that they were involved. They were involved. Now, we see this all over the place, don't we? We see people who have been converted but not baptized. 
We see people who have been converted and baptized but not added. We see people who have been converted, baptized, go to the membership class and be added, but they're not involved. But all of this works together to give us, look right here, meaningful membership. That's the key word. Not just being a member, but being a meaningful member. Conversion, baptism, adding, involvement. Verse 42 says, and they continued. They continued. They were involved. And the rest of the chapter tells us what they were involved in. Let me summarize it. They were involved in the hearing of the word. They were involved in the Lord's Supper. They were involved with praying with other members by giving to the needs of the church. They they were involved by enjoying the fellowship that they had, going from house to house. Listen, they were active. They were active. And then at the end of the chapter, the Lord just continues the pattern. It's not just an isolated situation. He continues the pattern. Look at it in verse 47. And the Lord added, there it is again, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we have two different things going on here. There are those who are being saved. That is one action the Lord is doing. And then we have a separate action. He's adding those who are being saved to the church, to the church. Membership, belonging, togetherness. Brothers and sisters, this is the pattern of church membership. Upon profession of faith and baptism, it is assumed in the New Testament that we will join a church where we will involve ourselves in the discipleship of our faith. This is necessary. That when we profess faith in Christ, when we identify him with baptism, that we unite together with the church that will disciple our faith. This is the pattern. But not only do we have a pattern for church membership, we also see, secondly, the metaphors of church membership. There are some metaphors in the Bible for church membership that I think speak clearly to this this responsibility that we have. In fact, as you unpack the scriptures, especially as teaching about the church, you'll quickly discover that church membership is in every nook and cranny of the New Testament. Whatever a nook and cranny is. I just wrote it down. (laughs) Sounded good. But you'll find it all over the place. Matthew chapter 18 informs us about church discipline, presupposing that we know who belongs to the church and who doesn't. How can we enact discipline in the discipleship of a person's faith if we don't know who's in and who's out? Similarly, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks about how we are, as a church, responsible for our members. Responsible for what? Responsible for praying for them, sharing their burdens, discipling them, provoking them, encouraging them. Putting them back online if we need to. We're, we're responsible to them. It's what it says in 1 Corinthians 5. Specifically uses the words, those who are on the inside. Those who are on the inside. We're responsible for those who are on the inside of the church. But it also goes on to say in the exact same verse that we are not responsible for those who are not members. Those who are on the outside. It gives us a situation where in the church life there are those who are on the inside, church members. There are those who are on the outside, non-church members. There was a formal understanding of who was a member, who wasn't. In fact, we even have a membership role in the New Testament. Romans chapter 16, it appears to be a membership list that Paul references as he closes out his letter to the church at Rome. He's been praying for these people, and now he says, hey, all these people I've been praying on your membership list, tell them I said hi. And he just lists every one of them by name. By the way, these are, just a, these are just a few examples. But then, then we have some metaphors that the New Testament uses to describe the church. Many of you could speak these by memory. 
In fact, write them down. I'm not sure if I put them on the screen for you or not. But number one, we see the church is a flock. Very good. We did. The church is a flock. The church is a flock. Acts 20 and verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, speaking of the shepherds, care for yourselves and to the flock. It's a metaphor. He's describing the church as a flock. Then we see the church as as a body. As a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, you are the body of Christ and members individually. You are the body of Christ and members of that body individually. So we here on earth make up the body of Christ on earth for the work of the ministry by joining ourselves together as members of his fellowship. The church is a flock. The church is a body. Thirdly, we see the church is a building, as a building. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I've heard many, many messages through the years talking about that being an individual application. You look at the context of that scripture, he's not talking about individuals. He was talking about a church, a church body, a building, the the way the people come together. He says you're like a house, the frame of a building, and inside of that house, inside of that body is where I dwell, God says. The Spirit of God lives inside of believers who come together and join themselves as a church. That's why we say we're coming together in God's presence. It's not that God's presence is out there, not out there. He is out there too. But there is a special, there is a special expression of God's presence within the church. Within the church. Because the church is a building in which God lives. The church is a body by which God operates. The church is a flock by which God guides. But then it talks about the church as a family to which God belongs. The church is a family. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, verse 15 rather. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the family of God. He uses the word house there, but the house in the, in the Greek is, is family. He's talking about the household, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, cousins you like, cousins you don't like. He says, I'm telling you all these things so that you can know how to behave as a family, a family that is the church of the living God. These are the metaphors, a flock, a body, a building, a family. Think about it. Just think about it for a moment. A flock, a body, a building, a family. So first, the metaphors imply joining together. They imply that. In fact, these metaphors only make sense as we view them in terms of membership to one another. What I mean by that is one sheep doesn't make a flock. One part doesn't make a body. One brick doesn't make a building. One individual doesn't make a family. So it reminds us that it is unnatural for a Christian to be disconnected from the flock, disconnected from the body, disconnected from the building, disconnected from the family, subsequently disconnected from a local church. It implies joining together. It also implies, these metaphors do, they implied order and structure. Order and structure. There has to be order and structure for a brick to turn out into a building. There has to be order and structure for a family to operate, and so on and so forth. In fact, Titus was told by the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 of his letter, he said, it is for this reason I left you in Crete that you should set things in order. The church had gotten out of order. 
they had no pastors, they, they had no discipleship, nobody knew who the members were and who the members weren't, so part of setting these things in order was by having a formal process whereby the people identified themselves with Jesus and his people so that the church could function properly. So sometimes the Bible never gives us a thou shalt not or a thou shalt. Sometimes we look for those things like thou shalt not smack your husband. Where is that? Thou shalt not smack your husband. It's not in there. I can't find it anywhere. But the Bible teaches that, all right? Control yourself. Get rid of the anger. Love him. All those sort of things. Same thing with church membership. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. But the Bible shows us that the Trinity exists. Okay, same thing here. Same thing. There is no verse of Scripture that says, thou shalt join a church. But the Bible speaks for itself. It teaches these things through the metaphors, through the pattern. But let me give you this third and final thing that I want us to focus on this morning. And that is the meaning of church membership. The meaning of church membership. We've looked at the pattern, the metaphors, But then let's go back to the meaning of it. The local church is the provision, the provision that the head of the church, not me, the Lord Jesus, that the Lord Jesus has made for the development of the members of the church. I want to say that again. The local church is the provision that the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, has made for the development of the members of the church. Some people find it important to have life coaches, mom groups, book clubs, all of which are fine. But not at the exception of belonging to and being involved with a local church. Again, we come back to our initial question. What is church membership? It is joining ourselves together to submit our Christian discipleship to the shepherding, the fellowship, and the ministry of this local church. It's submitting, if you will, to what the Scripture says I need as a Christian. We struggle with submission, don't we? How many times i got to tell my kids to brush their teeth? They may not feel like they need to, but I know they need to. And things are not going to jail harmoniously until they submit their teeth to their mom and dad's desires. We know what they need. Or we're going to knock their teeth out. (laughs) (laughs) We struggle with that when it comes to any authority over our lives, don't we? You see, we're in a dangerous place when we think we know what we need. I don't hardly take off months like I did this past month because up until last year, and I don't want to rehearse all of that again, but enough, up to last year, I thought I knew what I needed in terms of my own spiritual engagement. It's a bad place to be when we think we know what we needed, but God says, no, you need something different. Okay? That's church membership. Church membership is saying, Lord, you know what I need more than I do. And what I need is a shepherd, a fellowship, and a ministry. That's what I need. In fact, 
Romans chapter 12 clearly shows this to us. So this is where we're going to spend our final exposition. What is the meaning of church membership? The meaning of church membership, number one, is for the purpose of shepherding. When you join a church, what you're saying is, I need a pastor. I need a pastor. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't for a single moment think that you can do this Christian life alone, that you can do it without any guidance, without any spiritual leadership in your your life. Our Christian life is designed to be shepherded, to be shepherded. Acts 20, we quoted it earlier. Let me give you the whole rest of the context. Speaking to pastors, he says, I want you to take heed to yourself, take care of yourselves, and take care of the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. You're to lead them. You're to shepherd the church of God. You're to feed them. Because I know that after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. He said they're going to come in from the outside. They're going to try to destroy marriages, destroy homes. They're going to try to destroy the church. He said not only that, also men are going to rise from within the church, from within the church. See how important the job of the shepherd is? It's not only to fight them on the outside, it's to make sure nobody's sneaking up through membership and other realms on the inside that's going to devour the flock. And when we fail to take church membership seriously, I'm talking about me as a pastor, when we fail to stop hearing those testimonies and fail to start looking into their backgrounds and fail to start protecting the church, then that's when havoc breaks out in a church community. That's why we have a membership class. We want you to know who we are. It's why we have you write down your testimony of conversion because we want to know that you have an understanding of the gospel because we're to protect the church. So he says the shepherd, the shepherd exists. It exists to lead the church, to feed the church, to protect the church. And friends, let me just submit to you this morning that the only way a people can be shepherded is if they are a part of the church. I can't shepherd people who are not a part of the church. I'm thankful for the many avenues and outlets that God has given me to bear witness into our community. God has given me so much favor with the town of Harrisburg right now. I'm running half of their baseball program on the side as I'm engaging with my, only, with, with my own family, and, I, and I'm loving that. I'm meeting a lot of people. We're winning folks to Christ. We just had a recent family that we had connected with, as you met, and they moved to Texas, unfortunately. But God is opening up doors and a great opportunity. I'm thankful. I, I can't really shepherd them, though. They're not a part of the flock. I'm evangelizing. I'm showing a good witness. I'm, I'm sitting down with other men who are coaches who are coming to me saying, Jonathan, you're the only religious man I ever know. I need some help. And so I'm thankful that God is opening those doors for me to the town of Harrisburg and our volunteerism with it, just like God opens those, those doors for you where you work and in your community and with your family. God does that. But when it comes to shepherding, counseling, guiding, speaking the truth in love to, that is done within the context of the church family. And the Bible says we need that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the New Testament pastors, they knew whom they were responsible for. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember those who shepherd you. Follow their faith. Be submissive. They watch for your souls. They have to give an account of you to God. And so when we join a church, we're saying, I I want their shepherding because I need a pastor. I need a pastor. 
Secondly, it's saying I want their fellowship because I need a family. I need a family. You say, well, I got a family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual family. It's amazing how God knows how to meet our needs because there are some members of this church who don't have a spiritual family even at home. They're the only ones living out their faith in Christ. For some people, it's a teenager whose moms and dads aren't saved, who come week after week, who have united with this church because they need a family. And then some of us have been blessed, like my family. My, my wife grew up in a pastor's home, and I grew up in a pastor's home. And, and uh, I don't know what the Lord's going to do with my own children. But I'm praying that God will always push them toward his will and purposes for their lives, that they'll do whatever he designed for them, whether that's ministry, non-ministry, it doesn't matter. But we've been blessed through our own heritage to have a family physically, naturally, that is spiritual. But even at that, I recognize that's not enough because that's not how God designed the Christian life to operate. He designed our little families to exist within one big family, the fellowship of the church. And that brings us back to Romans 12, 4. We have many members in one body. We have a lot of people, a lot of members, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body, many, one, and individually members of one another. So akin to our need for shepherding is our need for one another. And the New Testament description of our Christian discipleship is not one that is to be carried out in isolation, but rather in association. Of course, in realm of core convictions, we'll speak more of that later on. But let's just set the meaning here. To join a church says, I need a pastor. I need a family. And then thirdly, to join a church says, I need a mission. I need a mission. And that's the ministry aspect of this, shepherding fellowship ministry. Because in verse 6 of Romans chapter 12, it says that we have been given gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And so because we have those gifts, let us employ them. Let us use them for what purpose? To serve the gospel and to serve one another. That's what our ministry is. Our ministry is of the gospel to one another. It is of the gospel to one another, and it's what causes the church to grow in spiritual health and love. We read that in our opening scripture reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, that when we unite ourselves with the body of Christ, when we are added and involved, we take those gifts that God has given to us, and it's through those gifts knitly packed together, the body fit perfectly the way God has designed it to function, that it is then the church begins to grow in health. And grow in love. Church membership is making a formal commitment to the discipleship of a church. That's what it is. You say, you say Pastor, I don't have any dues. No dues. No dues. I'm not going to be separated by class or anything. Nope. There's no status. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's not what church membership is about. Church membership is saying, I will commit me and my family to the discipleship, to the discipleship of this church because I need a shepherd and I need a family and I need to employ my ministry. That's what we're saying. If you come to this church, you're saying, I want this church to shepherd me. I want this church to encourage me. 
I want this church to employ me. And if necessary, I want this church to bury me. Do you ever think about that? What's going to be said at the end of your life to your friends and to your family if you have no shepherd to guide them through it? You know how sad it is, and I've had to do them recently, to do funerals of people who are not members of this church or any church for that matter? I don't know what to tell them. I didn't know them. I give the family the word of God. I don't know. I don't know the reality of that person's profession. I can't talk about the valleys that we've walked through together. And I want to tell you something. You look right here. Chris Helms and I had this conversation here recently, and it meant the world to me when he came to me and thanked me for how I conducted his wife's funeral. I take that seriously. To me, one of the most meaningful moments in my life as a shepherd is the day comes when I have to bury the members of this church. And it's meaningful because it's crucial. It's crucial to your family and friends understanding the gospel. You get somebody up here at at your spouse or your your funeral that didn't know you, that doesn't know the gospel, you don't have a clue what they're going to say. I'm telling you something right now. I don't have any funny jokes. But the day you come that you die before I do, I will give your family the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you ever think about who's going to bury you if you don't have a shepherd? Who's going to help your family through your loss if you don't have a family, a church family? We We forget about these things, don't we? One of our convictions, core convictions as a church, is membership matters. And again, as I said before, this message is not a commercial in order that we might add more members to our role. It's about helping believers become fully obedient to Christ. And to be fully obedient to Christ, you must belong to a church that can shepherd you. Whether it's this one or another one. All right, membership matters, but I'm closing here. Membership matters. Everybody say that out loud with me. Membership matters. Membership matters. But there is one exception. There's one exception. So you think, oh man, good. I've been waiting for the exception. There is one circumstance where membership does not matter. Doesn't matter. And that is when a person has not put their faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. The church of God, Acts 20, 28 tells us, is a people that he has purchased with his own blood. It's a saved membership. So joining the church doesn't allow us to be purchased by Jesus. If you think, if I, if I join the church, it gives me another step closer to glory. That's not how it works. We join the church because we are purchased by Jesus. Because we have put our faith in him. Because we do acknowledge that the only way that I will be reconciled to God, have my sins forgiven, and heaven my eternity, is if I trust in Jesus Christ and not myself. That you can join a hundred churches. 
But unless you have put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, those 100 churches of membership are going to do absolutely zero for you in eternity. So we got to get it in the right order. Conversion. Are you a Christian? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you put your faith in Christ? If so, have you been baptized? If not, let's talk about baptism. Have you been baptized? Get added to the church. Get added to the church. And let us help you in the discipleship of your faith as you involve yourself in this ministry. So are you a member of a Bible teaching gospel-centered church? Can I invite you to submit your discipleship to the shepherding and the fellowship and the ministry of this church? Inside of your worship guide today is an invitation to our next membership class. Sunday, August 28th, perhaps this will be a good first step to come. Some of you have already attended that. Maybe it's time that we actually talk about this so that you can get a shepherd, a family, a ministry. Or I just pray that you will commit to one like this one for the sake of God's glory and his richest blessings on your life. We're talking about core convictions. How does what we believe and what we are motivated by express itself in our church with the very first and basic step of joining a church in membership? And may God help us to always hold true to that biblical teaching. Let's stand together for prayer.